My name is John Cherney. I'm one of the pastors here at Indelible Grace Church. And this morning, um, my day started in a new way, something exciting in the Cherney household. We bought a toaster. Um, we actually haven't owned a toaster since we got married. My wife had a toaster when we got married. It worked for about a week. And then we never bought a new toaster. We're coming up on five years of marriage. And we just make toast in the oven or I make toast on the grill. Uh, but as it's gotten hot and we don't have AC, we were like, let's buy a toaster. And so lately, as you might imagine, I've been eating a lot of toast. Toast is good. Toast is yummy. Just with butter. Pretty simple. And so this morning, I bring this up because this morning we're going to have a bread and butter kind of sermon. No flashes, no wows. We're looking at the Ten Commandments. This is something we've all encountered in some ways. And if you're unfamiliar with that phrase of like bread and butter, this was, it uses a cultural expression just as an ordinary type of day, a bread and butter type of day, a normal meal, something that is ordinary. And so this morning, as we look at the Ten Commandments there, we're going to be looking at something ordinary. Not to say that they're not extraordinary, they're the very words of God, but this is going to be a bread and butter type of sermon. And so this morning, if you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We'll be looking at the Ten Commandments. We'll begin reading in verse 6 here in a couple of minutes. This is the restating of the Ten Commandments. At Mount Sinai, after being freed from slavery and redeemed by God, God's people were given the Ten Commandments. And here they're about getting ready to enter the promised land that God has been leading them to. And he's restating these Ten Commandments for them. And at the onset here, before we even read them, I want to point out that these Ten Commandments were never intended to make God's people perfect. Even a perfect law cannot create a perfect people because of their sin. The Ten Commandments were never meant for the atonement of Israel. The sacrifices that God put into place of bulls and goats would have to do until the time of Christ came. And there would be a once and for all sacrifice. And I think sometimes when we read Ten Commandments, or especially when those who are non-Christians hear of the Ten Commandments, they're like, okay, is this just ten things to do? Is this a laundry list? Is this things to check off? And so I want us to, to step back from that kind of common cultural view in our society of that in no way were the Ten Commandments ever intended to atone for sins. So what were they intended for? See, our obedience destroy our disobedience destroys us. The law cannot earn our salvation. That was never the purpose of it. And the law is going to help create what are we to look like as God's people in God's land. But the law cannot atone for our sins. So we're going to look at what is the point of the law. We're going to use a a framework for this. This is pretty common. You'll see it referred to in Christian books and in theology sometimes as the three uses of the law. That's where we're going to find our three answers to that question this morning of what is the point of the law? And those points outlined for you in your bulletin. Number one, it convicts us of our sins. Number two, the law restrains evil. And number three, the law shows us how to live. So let's look at that Deuteronomy chapter five now. We'll begin reading in verse six, and I'll read through verse 21. This is the holy and infallible word of God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity 
of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or even your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is in within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord and it was given for our good. Would you join me in prayer? Our father, we come uh, here to worship you. We come here on the the Sabbath, Lord, that you have given us to, to rest um, to observe a holy rest, Lord. We come to hear your word. We come to hear, sing praises to your name. Lord, we come to do the, the, the very things that you command for your people to do as a church. Lord, we pray that this time would be honoring to you, that as we look at the law today, Lord, that we would look on it with joy, that not only do you give us your word for our good, but that you even give us these 10 commandments for our good. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go through those those three points there. We're going to go through these three uses of the law to answer this question. What is the law good for? And I know we could go through each of these commandments and realistically have a, a whole series going through the Ten Commandments. Recently, as a church, we've gone through during our time of confession of faith, the shorter catechism actually on the questions with each of the Ten Commandments. So today is kind of more like we're doing a 10,000 foot view on the Ten Commandments. We've done some of the, the looking at the forest and the trees over this last year in our, in our liturgy as a service. And so today's kind of a 10,000 foot view as we take all of the commandments at once. So this first use of the law, it convicts us of our sin. Now, why can this law convict us of our sin? Look with me again at verse 6 in chapter 5. Here is how it, the Ten Commandments begin. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here's where it begins. Here's why the Ten Commandments can actually convict us of our sin, because of who our God is. It's beginning. This law is given with the reminder that this is from the God who redeemed you, who calls you his treasured possession. Something I say kind of reoccurring to the youth group kids is that when we read scripture, it it informs us about who God is and it actually forms us that we might know how to live. That's what God's doing here with the Ten Commandments. He's reminding his people of their identity, that they belong to him, that they are his treasured possession, that he is the God who redeemed them, that brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And now he's going to teach them 
how to be human. And you might think that that phrase sounds odd of how to be human because all of us from the moment that we're born are human. But I use that because it seems like something so fundamentally true that we are human, but we need to learn how to be human because our sin actually twists and distorts every reality of what that means. Not only do we need to be redeemed of the sins that we've committed, the the actual sin that is upon us, our own unrighteousness, all of our actions end up getting defined by that sin if we are apart from Christ. And so part of what God's doing in his word is actually teaching his people how to live as his, how to live as his people. And so this, this law, these 10 commandments that are given, they can convict us of our sin because of who says it. Because our sins are fundamentally always against God. Now I might sin against you and hurt you, and I might need to make corrections of that. I might need to ask for your forgiveness. I might need to seek reconciliation in the relationship. But ultimately, any sin that I might do is against God. There's no such thing as a secret sin because all sins are against God. It's a violation of his holiness. And he does not tolerate sin. As we even read a moment ago in Deuteronomy 5, he does not let the guilty go unpunished, but he punishes the iniquity from generation to generation. But he also has this steadfast love and mercy that is abounding. And so here, this is what we're looking at. It convicts us of our sin because our sins are ultimately against God. Our catechism as a church, uh, the Westminster even says that every sin, both original and actual, being transgression of the righteous law of God, no matter what the sin is, it's it's, that is the violation against God, not just against the person you might have wronged. So if sin is a violation against God, it's a violation against his holiness. This is what we receive in this law is actually helping us understand our own sin. Our sin is kind of like it's the temperature of the water we're used to swimming in. And that temperature of the water needs to get changed. And we actually can't change the temperature of that water. We actually need God to change the temperature of our water. So we might feel at home in his holiness and not in our own sin, which is what we've become accustomed to. And so kind of still surveying these Ten Commandments, if if you look back at Deuteronomy 5, what you'll notice as you read is that the first four commandments... Describe our duty to God. They're talking about our relationship to God, our interaction with God. For example, and I'll just kind of keep using each of the Ten Commandments as examples throughout the sermon. um, We're not to make idols. And on the flip side, the back six of the Ten Commandments, these regard our duty to man. How we're actually to treat one another. And so, for example, don't murder. That one sounds pretty obvious. That one seems pretty clear of why it's a sin. And so what we actually see here is that I mentioned before that there's sometimes this there's this cultural temptation as a whole, particularly from people outside the church that treat the Ten Commandments as this kind of just just a moral law. And we can faithfully summarize the Ten Commandments as a moral law. But more than that, it's actually a transforming law because of who it comes from, from the God who redeems his people. In the New Testament, we see in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talking about the law. This is what Matthew 5, 17 through 18 says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. 
our Lord comes. He's coming to make atonement for us in the New Testament. And he has not come to abolish this law that was given. He's rather coming to fulfill it because we could not perfectly keep the law. Because we could not atone for ourselves. Jesus comes and fulfills the law on our behalf, yet without sin, made like us in every respect, as Hebrews 4 says. So church, as we review the Ten Commandments, I'll wait a second for the plane. Church, as we review the the Ten Commandments, don't review it as at an arm's length, as though this is something that was just for Israel or just under the Old Covenant. This is what God is actually giving to his people throughout all of time, that we might know how to live, that we might know how to glorify him. So church, do not read the Ten Commandments if you are in Christ and feel condemned of your sin. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. Rather, take your sin seriously when you read the Ten Commandments. Let it help be a rubric to actually help identify the sin that is within you. Take that seriously. Or as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that he has been crucified with Christ. That is he, no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. Take our sin seriously. That's one of the first, the first uses of the law. It convicts us of our sin. It shows us what is wrong. It shows us the, the weight that our sin leads to. As Romans 3.23 says that all have fallen short of God's glory. That's the first thing that the law does. It shows us that apart from God, apart from his redemption, that we are sinners. George Whitfield, one of the uh, a Puritan, uh, a tent preacher during the Second Great Awakening, um, he says this. Come then and venture. Come then, throw thyself at Christ. Do not say, pardon my iniquities because they are small, but say, Lord, pardon my iniquities because they are great. And when we come to the Ten Commandments and we talk about that the Ten Commandments, one of the first uses of the law is that it convicts us of our sin. Do you feel a little bit convicted? Do you feel like the, the, the repentance and the belief that you need, that the atonement that Christ gives you, the longer you're a Christian, the more you are following Jesus Christ, you should actually see and understand your sin more and more and more. It shouldn't be this like small thing like, oh, here are these sins that are in the past, which are so much easier for people to acknowledge and feel convicted of. But Lord, I am a sinner who needs your grace every single day because my sins are great. And continuing to rely upon that. Remember, it convicts us of our sin. The law, these Ten Commandments, cannot... They will not atone for your sin. It is not an earning equation. So do you see, church, that the law is given for our good? It's good that we might actually see what is sin, what is ultimately an offense against God, what ultimately separates us from him, and that we might learn all the more of his atonement to run to Christ's feet. Let's look at the the second use of the law. These are going to continue to to build on each other. The second use of the law is that the law, these Ten Commandments, are actually intended to restrain evil. And here we see that this is God protecting the well-being of his creation. This includes things more as the the law is actually expanded throughout the rest of Deuteronomy as these case laws 
tying back to the, the Ten Commandments that we might better understand what it is. This includes not only the way you treat fellow image bearers and humans. This actually intrudes, includes the way you treat your livestock, includes the way you treat people outside of the covenant community. It includes all of life. And so we see commands here. If you look back in Deuteronomy 5, you see things. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not covet. And these probably sound pretty familiar and possibly even pretty basic. These are basic protections. This is God not allowing injustice and sin to grow, but rather is providing judgment and justice even in these days, even in the days of Israel and even in our days still. But the law goes much farther than that, because I believe for most of us, we could say I have never murdered anyone. And we might go, oh, I'm I'm doing pretty good when it comes to Ten Commandments. I mean, maybe I've maybe I've coveted something. Maybe I've stolen something. But, you know, I didn't murder. Murder sounds way more severe. And so what we actually read, we'll get to this later in our series in Deuteronomy once we hit chapter 22. But what we actually see is that God puts more protections. There's this there's the prohibition in the law where it's don't do this, don't murder. But there's also actually, what are you then supposed to do instead? For example, if you want to turn a couple pages forward in your Bible, probably, probably more than a couple, to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8. Here is what we read there about a parapet. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Now, for many of us, we don't have a parapet on our house. Um, but if, if we can imagine for a second this tarp that I'm standing on, if this is the roof of my house, there would be a common living space for all the family down below. And pretty common when you had someone traveling through, if they were going to stay with you, they would actually sleep on your roof. So if this tarp is the roof of my house, I would be required by the law to actually build a parapet. Parapet would be a short one to two foot wall around the base of the roof. And you might be thinking like, okay, so it's going to help protect people to be up there so that they don't fall off. And anyone that would be on your roof would actually kind of even be a common place to, to dwell in like cool evenings and things like that. It would be to sit on the roof. Well, you would actually be guilty of murder by God's law if you did not have a parapet and somebody fell off. Because the obligation of the law is not only don't murder, but also protect the life of your neighbor, which includes building a parapet building a small wall around the top. Now, if they fall over that wall, they're doing something ridiculous on your roof. You're not liable. You have the parapet. This goes on farther in, in these case studies in Deuteronomy. We actually say, I'm going to keep using murder as the example for a moment. We actually see that if you have an ox or a bull and it kills someone who's traveling down the road, you're not guilty of murder. Now, if that bull or ox has killed someone before and then you didn't put up a fence you are now guilty of murder as though you killed the person traveling down the road. The Ten Commandments isn't simply just don't murder. It's don't murder and protect the life of your neighbor. Don't lie about your neighbor or covet, but also actually protect their good name and protect their property. This is actually a care for the entire person, not just a list of rules to things not to do. This is why I say that scripture is not only that we might be informed of what God requires of man and who he is, but that we might actually be formed by it. This is what God's trying to do for his people. 
So for example, we can think of in our, in our culture, in our land, we have laws that kind of function like a parapet, to give you a modern example, uh, one of which is you should be a good driver. If you're, if you're driving down the road, you're preserving and protecting a life of the people around you means you're going to focus on the task that you're doing. You're driving a several ton vehicle. Your love of neighbor is actually maybe not answering text messages while driving. Your love of neighbor actually includes protecting and preserving life of those that are around you. So you're not just simply responsible for not killing someone. You're responsible for actually protecting and guarding your neighbor's life. You are duty bound to the good name of your neighbor to not lie about them. See, the Ten Commandments are honestly more beautiful than how we often simplify them. Because God's actually instructing his people in a bigger way here than giving them a list of rules. Did you check the boxes? He's actually teaching them what it looks like to live and to bear his image for his glory. And it's not just don't murder. It's actually protect and preserve life. As we could go through all of the different examples in the Ten Commandments there. But lastly, let's turn and look at this third use of the law. This has been hinted at uh, a lot so far, but that it actually shows us how to live. Here is actually the ethic of the Christian life. What does it look like? to belong to Christ? What does it look like to be sanctified? What role do the Ten Commandments actually play in your life as a Christian as you're saved by grace? What's the point of them? What's the point of the law? That they might show you how to live. Here we see in the Ten Commandments being restated in Deuteronomy that God very clearly cares about what his people do. Jesus summarizes the whole law when he's actually asked in Matthew 22, verses 36 and 40. Teacher of the law comes to him and says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So here, here, here's our summary. Here's, here's, the, here's the Lord Jesus, very God of very God, summarizing what are these Ten Commandments. It has to do with our duty to God, the first four, and our duty to man. And that loving your neighbor as yourself becomes one of the most hard things to actually do because it includes not just don't murder them, but also actually protect their life. Actually love them the way you love yourself. You, you would protect your own life. You would look to preserve your own life. You wouldn't enjoy if someone was lying about you and not protecting your good name. You would do what you could to protect your name. And so here we see this summary of the law, loving God and loving your neighbor. And this is what we actually see Jesus flush out even more as he talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable we're we're all pretty familiar with. Samaritans were actually ethnically outsiders of the people of Jewish heritage. They were kind of looked down upon. And here's this hero in this parable, this story to tell a purpose, to teach something that Jesus gives. And he actually highlights this Samaritan's good action of being the only one to stop. And if you look at the cast of characters in this story that Jesus is telling, he would actually seem like the least likely to stop, especially for the people that he was telling it to. And here's this good Samaritan who loves his neighbor like he loves himself. Here is a fulfillment of actually the law, of keeping the law. 
But that action by the Good Samaritan could actually never save the Good Samaritan. That would not atone for his sins. That would not atone for what he had done wrong. That would not atone because his sin is not against man. You can't sin against man. You can't sin against one another. But all sin is ultimately against God. And so the atonement for it can never actually be something that we would earn or do from the law. It can only be by God's own initiative. And praise be to God, God himself gives what he demands. And so we actually see, as we look at the Ten Commandments, it's teaching us actually how to live. That we might actually understand God's heart for how we would live. And Jesus' summary really helps us actually, I think, capture what that means. Of loving God, not having any other gods before him or in his presence. Why? What makes this God worthy of our praise? He is the God who redeemed you. Who led you out of slavery. Who led you out of your sin by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so only can this God actually transform us so that we might obey the law. That we might actually say that the law is good for us. Because it actually teaches us how to be human. So this morning, we've, I said this was a bread and butter sermon because we're looking at the three uses of the law. What does the law actually do for us? And what the law actually does is it convicts of us of our sin. This is still true for us today, church. That was not just true for Israel when they were at Sinai or when they're in, or in Deuteronomy about to enter the promised land. The law can convict us of our sin. It can show it. And I think oftentimes where it can actually show us our sin, that we might actually repent and rely upon Jesus Christ more for our salvation, is in those ways where we're often tempted to just kind of check it off of like, you know, I haven't murdered, so I'm good. Or, you know, I don't, I don't steal anything, so I'm good. But of actually, hey, are you protecting and caring for your neighbor? Are you loving them as yourself? Is there things that actually you in idolatry care about more than God, where you actually fail to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We can use it as a rubric to actually help understand where sin is at in our life, that we might actually repent and rely more upon the good news of the gospel than the day that we first believed. That we might actually, like that quote I read before from George Whitfield, might go, Lord, forgive me for my sins are not small. My sins are great. And throughout all the days of our life, I would hope that we see our sins more clearly where that crying out to Jesus just doesn't happen the first day that we believed, but happens throughout all of the days of our lives. Church, both you and I and Israel, we don't obey the law to earn God's favor. It was never given for that. The law could never earn God's favor because it cannot atone for your sins. By faith, we believe the promises of God and we follow him. And he makes a way for atonement for sins, just as he did for Israel. In the old covenant, that would be replaced where the blood of bulls and goats was sacrificed to the ultimate sacrifice of his son upon the cross. And our action in response is obedience. Here's where the Ten Commandments, these three uses of the law, aids us. As we respond, because this God has saved us, he's redeemed us. Notice that comes before. If you look back at verse 6 of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, that they're already actually God's people. They're already his treasured possession. He's already redeemed them. He's already saved them. And now he wants you to do these things. It's an act of obedience. It's actually following him, living by faith. So how then should we live because our God saved us? We can live... By following him 
including actually learning what it is to follow him, learning how to be human. Earlier today, I mentioned that I had a bread and butter type breakfast. Uh, I actually have been for a couple of weeks because it's been so enjoyable to have a toaster. I forgot what having a toaster was like. And these Ten Commandments or laws is kind of like that. It's like the bread and butter. It's something you can go back to again and again, and it's satisfying. It's kind of a comfort food. There's substance to it. Now, I know bread doesn't have a lot of really good substance for those of you nutritionalists. Um, It's not the best, but you understand what I mean there, that we can actually go and be satisfied by it. It doesn't promise some sort of to-do list that's out there that we might earn God's grace. Instead, it actually be, those Ten Commandments begin in the place that we've already been shown grace, that we've already been redeemed, that we're already his treasured possession, that he loves us. And I don't know about you, but that actually inspires me then of not this begrudgingly like, I guess I, I got to do these things like, OK, what, what's these 10 things I need to do and check off? Instead, it actually because I'm the redeemed of God, because I'm his treasured possession, it's like, all right, what do, what do I need to do? Like, I want, I want to follow you. I want to live by faith. I want to do whatever it is you ask of me because woe to my sin, great is Jesus. So we never graduate from these Ten Commandments. These are intended to be ordinary things in our life, kind of like a bread and butter type thing. There's no better way for us to teach or understand what it actually means to continue to follow God in these circumstances than how we can love our God more and love our neighbor more than continuing to look at the Ten Commandments, feasting on what the Lord has given us. And so Christian, understand your sin in light of the law. There's no condemnation for those of you in Christ, but there is acknowledging and seeing your sin and continuing to repent and believe, which is the two-step throughout all of the Christian life, repent and believe. Christian, understand the grace of your Savior that there is not that condemnation, but that knowing the law of the Lord actually can shape you and transform you. God does not leave us like widows or orphans, but he comes to us. He sends his Holy Spirit to us and we are ongoing receiving his sanctification. Another uh, Puritan quote for you guys. I've been reading the Puritans a lot over this last year. In 1661, uh, Thomas Brooks said, Remember this, a Christ highly praised will be a Christ gloriously obeyed. And I think that's one that maybe it catches your ear and maybe kind of like I mentioned before, maybe you actually feel a little bit like inspired. Or maybe it catches your ear and you're like, ah, obeyed? What does that mean? Because we want to be very clear that the obedience does not earn you grace. The obedience does not atone for your sins. The obedience cannot remove your separation from God, but only the work of Christ. So remember this, that a highly prized will be a Christ gloriously obeyed. That if we prize Christ more, that if his word is sweeter to us, if even his Ten Commandments are sweeter to us and our sin, it will continue to grow more and more bitter. We will continue on in obedience, which is what God is desiring for his people as they enter the land in Deuteronomy. Again and again throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we're seeing the same phrase of don't turn from this law that I'm giving you from the to the left or to the right, but instead follow it all the days of your life. And so church, that's what we should consider. How can we highly prize Christ more than our sin and continue to obey him as a response of faith? 
This is what God desires for his people as they're about to enter the promised land. And this is what he still desires for his church today, that we might know him more, who our God is and what he requires of man. This is what the scriptures principally teach, who God is and what he requires of man. And here in the Ten Commandments, we read, we see these three uses of the law. The law can show us our sin. It can show us our sin. It can show us who our God is. It can show us how he makes atonement and redemption for us. It can show us how to love our God and love our neighbor. Amen. Our Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for this day, Lord, that we can uh, look upon your word, not with trembling, uh, Lord, that we can look upon it and even know that we could never be justified by it, but that instead you justify us by the work of your son in a way that we could never justify ourselves, that we could not earn salvation. Lord, and now we're going to turn to the table, a table that you set before us, uh, a picture of the rea- beautiful reality that Christ's body is broken for us and his blood spilt for us. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.